Hello, my teaching without a book friends. I am Sarah Thomas, and today I'm going to share with you my three most heavy hitting effective classroom management strategies for when you feel like you have lost all control. hard to foster a respectful, loving, student-centered, responsive classroom culture. Classroom norms have been collectively created and you've taught, modeled, and provided practice for any routines, procedures, and expectations. Everything's going smoothly except for maybe a couple of situations here or there, but you're consistent with your expectations and you continue to model and provide time for the students to practice. For the most part, it's pretty smooth sailing. Then it happens. Maybe it's Halloween or the week before a holiday break or that painfully long stretch in the springtime when kids are just at each other's throats and done with this. Or maybe you're in the final weeks of school and the kids have checked out and decided that it just does not matter anymore. So how do you handle these extremely trying classroom management situations when you've done all the things you need to do and the kids know exactly what's expected, but they are just choosing to not do their jobs. They are choosing to not make the right choices, especially when it's most of your class and not just the few. Well, you, my friend, are not alone. We have all been there. And today I'm going to share with you my top three strategies that I go to when my students needed to be rebooted and reset. These strategies worked for me every time and really did the job in reminding my students that in my classroom, there is 100% a no-nonsense policy. Now, before we get started, I just wanna say that I am a person who believes that creating and fostering a classroom environment that is safe, structured, orderly, and well-managed is the most important job of a teacher. So I put that priority above anything. Plus, classroom management is teaching. We fix the undesirable behaviors by teaching the desired replacement behavior. So classroom management is a piece of teaching that is just as important as teaching anything academic. And so I will not even think twice about throwing an entire afternoon of academics right out the window if I need to. So if you're looking to create a structured, safe, well-managed, no-nonsense classroom of your own, you really need to start by adopting that mindset too. My first tip for you is not really a strategy, but it's more of a system that I created and embedded into the everyday life of my classroom. And many of you probably already do this, only maybe you're just using it differently. And that is free choice time. Now my kids already had a recess. That was completely separate than the free choice time. But there's a lot of research around not taking away recess and everyone has their own opinions about that. A lot of schools don't even allow teachers to take away recess anymore. I'm in the gray area here because to me, it depends on the student and the situation. However, to get around that whole thing, I embedded a separate free choice time every single day so that I then had something that I could take away from those students whose freedom of choice was then about to earn them an undesirable consequence. So at the end of our school day, any student who had worked hard and followed all of the expectations of our classroom were able to choose from a variety of different free choice activities. So that might look like steam bins or maker spaces, coloring activities, learning games, and different like guided drawing activities, things of that nature. And I will actually link some of my favorite free choice time activities and resources in the video description. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can find those in the show notes. 
So during this free choice time, any student who did not earn their free choice time then received a natural consequence for whatever bad choice they had made during the day. There were times where I literally only had two kids that earned that free choice time and the rest of the class was repairing the damage that they caused. There's just times where that's how the cookie crumbles. But the key point that I do want to make here is that any student who is not able to participate in free choice time should not be getting just a random assignment, waste of time, busy work activity. So we're not just asking students to sit and do busy work. Everything should be purposefully created in mind with teaching the skill that that student needs to be able to close the behavior gap to be able to move forward. So a natural consequence might look something like finishing work that was not completed during the day because rather than doing the work in the time you gave them to do the work, they decided they would just take their free choice then. So now they get to do their work while the rest of their peers take their free choice. Or maybe this is more of a social and emotional issue and students now need to repair harm or damages in relationships that they may have caused. So writing an apology letter or just verbally apologizing. Maybe you're going to have a conversation with this student or group of students about our classroom norms, expectations, and behavior, why they are important to have in a classroom, and then you can hold them accountable by asking them to provide examples of both inappropriate and appropriate responses to different scenarios. You might need to do a little mini lesson or reteach of any skill that they may seem to have forgotten, practicing procedures, routines, all of those things. So here are just a couple of tips that will help you with this approach, and these are all things that I learned along the way. For the most part, the kids who are taking their free choice time, you don't really need to worry about them. They're doing their thing. They're just having their free choice. It's the ones who obviously are not getting the free choice time and have to serve their natural consequence that you need to worry about. And sometimes there's a lot of them and they might all need different things, but there's only one of you. First, just remember, like any other routine, this is something that you and the kids just need to get used to. As you start doing the process day after day, everyone knows what to expect and what their responsibilities and expectations are within the free choice time. So it may start out a little rocky, but stick with it because it gets smoother, it gets faster, just like anything else that we would do. Also, don't give your students a natural consequence that they will not be able to finish during that free choice time. We don't want our students natural consequences to go unfinished. This will make them feel that they were not successful at resolving their problem or making good on a bad choice that they made. And we don't wanna send them home carrying that baggage with them. So we wanna help them tie their day up with a bow and be able to move on and have a fresh start tomorrow. It's always best to err on the side of a little less when you're not sure. And students who are finished early with their natural consequence or who might be waiting for you to help them get their natural consequence up and running, those students were free to either read a book or to sit quietly and watch their friends take their free choice time. One of the ways that I kept some of their activities a little shorter was that I didn't insist that they have to write out their communication. So if there wasn't time to finish a whole apology letter, then I allowed them to do either a voice recording that they could deliver or just go and apologize to their peer if it was somebody in our classroom or take a trip to that special area teacher or whoever that they needed to repair the relationship with, they could go and do that quickly just verbally. 
Also, if a student's natural consequence is to finish their work, but they're not actually able to finish up that work in that free choice time, I recommend not sending it home for homework. And here's why. First and foremost, you do not have control over what happens when a student goes home. So they might bring this homework home and you don't have any way to really hold them accountable for not bringing in homework. And we should not be punishing students for not bringing in homework at the elementary level. It's developmentally inappropriate and they depend a lot on their parents at this age to help them get their homework done and exercise their executive functioning skills so that they can get the work finished up and back to school. There are many students who do not have parents that can do that for them. And then that becomes an issue of equity. Assigning a student a consequence at school for something that they did not do at home does not connect. So a natural consequence to not doing homework, right? It's just that you're not learning the material and you're not getting the practice like everybody else who chooses to do the homework. And so that becomes more about intrinsic motivation. Whatever they could get done, they got done. And then I wiped their slate clean and so they had a fresh start to the next day. You really don't want to continue carrying the work over from day to day to day. And those students who struggle with processing and to attend, what happens is they watch their work build up day after day. And it continues to impact every one of their free choice times. Before you know it, they have all this work and they know that they're never going to get free choice time. And so this intervention will no longer work for them. Remember that it's not about being equal, but it's about being equitable. So whatever work that student doesn't finish up for that day, I just scrap it and start over the next day. But I will say that when it does become a chronic thing where you have a student or a couple of students who every day are not getting their work done, this is a whole separate issue about worker behavior or about work level appropriateness. Okay, so this next one can be very effective and it's kind of a shout out to all my special area teacher friends. The thing that's hard about being a special area teacher is that you only get the kids for like 40 minutes, maybe once or twice a week. That is not a lot of time and you don't have them later in the day, so it's much harder to hold them accountable for their behaviors. But here's what I did. We would walk the halls in silence. When a good part of the class has lost their minds and it feels chaotic and you've done all the things and they are not rebooting and it just feels crazy and out of control, it is 100% okay for you to say, everyone line up, you are not welcome in my classroom right now. These are the expectations, you know the expectations, and until you can follow those expectations, you will not be allowed in here. It is a privilege to be in my classroom. And I would line them up outside of the door and we would walk the hallways in silence. And you need to explicitly deliver that message so that they understand that their behavior is not being accepted and connect that with the fact that you will not tolerate it and they are no longer welcome in that room until they can follow your expectations and the norms of your classroom. So make sure you tell them exactly why you're lining them up and what they're going to be doing. I always would let them know we're going to walk there was like a hallways made like a loop, right? So tell them how many loops are they going to be expected to do in silence. That way they understand exactly what they did that was not okay, why they are being asked to do what they're doing and what the expectation and the goal of the consequence is before they even get started. Now remember, if anyone talks, or even whispers, you stop them and you turn them back and they have to start all over again. My friend, this is not the time to pretend you don't hear. This is not the time to ignore. This is the time where you wanna listen as carefully as you can and nail everything. You are sending a message. You are teaching a lesson about you as a teacher 
and about the importance of safety in a structured environment in your classroom and that you will not accept any less than that. So a couple of tips for this intervention. Make sure you ask them to walk the hallways in like chunks. Don't just send them to start walking, right? Line them up outside of your door and tell the leader to walk to a certain marker. So it might be a door or a poster on the wall. I would always walk towards the back and then you can see the entire line and what's happening in the line. If the students make it to the marker that you asked the leader to go to, then you can thank them, tell them they did a great job, and then you can invite them to go to the next marking point of where you would like them to stop next. If there's a whisper, if there's anyone talking, you just stop it there, tell them you hear talking, and so now unfortunately we need to turn around and do that piece again, and then they turn around. Depending on where we are, I usually don't make them go all the way back to the beginning. So if we're almost around the loop and someone talks, I just stop them where they are and we go back to the last marker. I don't make them go all the way back to the classroom. Different situations, different classes, it's up to you, but you have to be consistent and you have to mean what you say and you really have to make them do it if that's the expectation you're putting down. So once they've done the hallway walking in silence and they've done the distance that you've told them up front that they needed to do to be successful, you can keep them lined up outside of your classroom and then you will give them very clear explicit directions that they are to enter in silence and they will sit there with eyes on you and they will wait for your next direction. When you invite them to enter, if they do not enter in silence, with eyes on you, waiting for your next direction, then you can line them right back up outside that door because they are still not ready to come in your classroom. So be sure that you are following through with everything so that when they do come back in the classroom, it is completely reset and they are listening and they are ready. And this does work for a general education classroom as well. Anytime your students get squirrely and loud, when an environment becomes unsafe and chaotic, it is your job as the teacher to make sure that it does not get that way. So I have absolutely had classes walk halls when I was a general education teacher as well. So this works very well regardless of what you teach. Okay, so your kids have rebooted, they're sitting, they're listening. Now you want to do just a quick little debrief about what just happened why it's not okay, and what we need to do next to fix that problem. So you can prompt them with questions such as like, how did this feel for you? Who would like to share what their experience was with this exercise today? You wanna, again, be reteaching what the actual expectation is because the hallway walking isn't teaching them the skill or the replacement behavior. What that does is show them that they can't be in the classroom until they're able to control themselves and the silence helps them to think and to calm down and to regain their self-control so that they can re-enter your classroom in a way that is safe and manageable. Now I will warn you to be prepared for those wise guys who think it's funny that they make their class turn around a bunch of times. But here's what I will say to that. It doesn't take long until they really piss off their peers. And nobody likes it when everyone in the class is yelling at you and giving you the eye because you're not funny anymore. If that student isn't swayed by the peer pressure of their angry classmates, that's also good information for you too because obviously this intervention is not working for that student. Then again, just like any other intervention, we need to take a step back and to really take a look at what the root cause of the behavior 
behavior is so that we can match up a better strategy or intervention to handle that. The last thing that I will say about the silent hallway walking that's not so amazing is that everybody has to participate and do it. Unless you're a classroom teacher and you have an assistant or an aide in your classroom where the students who are doing their job are allowed to stay behind while you line up everybody else to walk hallways, most of us don't have that luxury of an extra adult in the room. So everyone has to line up and do it, even those kids who are doing their job. But you and I both know as adults that we often have to pay the price for people who aren't doing their job. And that's also a real life lesson. So what I do is after the walking is done and everything is over with, I will pull those few kids who were doing a great job and unfortunately had to get grouped in with everybody else and serve the hallway walking. And I will let them know that I'm proud of them, that I noticed them, and that I am sorry that I had to waste their time. As a classroom teacher, I would make that time up to them by taking the amount of hallway time and adding that to their free choice time. And so those students got to start their free choice time earlier to be able to give them their time back that had been wasted. Sometimes I would also invite those students to have lunch with me in my classroom. We could just talk, hang out. It's a great relationship builder, but just a way for them to know, I'm sorry you had to do that, but I need you to understand that I'm going to make sure that you are being recognized for doing a good job as well. If you are a special area teacher, I used to offer those students a chance to be my special helper during planning time. And of course, you have to get permission from their classroom teacher and most classroom teachers are going to support you with this. Okay, now my third and final strategy hits hard. It's unexpected and it's effective, and I do not use it very often. For this strategy, you need a buddy, and you will want a buddy at the grade level below you. So one year I had a class where for almost an entire week, about seven of the kids just would not stop fighting. They were on each other about everything and bickering and planning and tattling, and it was a nightmare. It was driving me crazy and the rest of the class crazy. We tried all the things. We tried the restorative circles. We tried talking about classroom values and kindness and relationships. And it might have worked for an hour or two or maybe the rest of the day, but then the next day it just continued to happen again. And so it wasn't enough. So what I did was asked a teacher, a friend of mine at, who taught the grade level below me. And at that time that was second grade because I was in third grade. And she agreed to take those seven kids for me for an hour. You get to determine the amount of time. During my planning, I prepared an activity for those seven kids and it pertained to kindness and how to respect people and what good behavior looks like in school, in a classroom. So after my planning, I picked up my class and brought them back to the classroom. And I asked each of the seven kids to come up and I handed them the assignment that I had just created for them. And I just very directly said, despite all the support that we've tried to give you, you're continuing to show behaviors that are not third grade behaviors. And so you need to go back to second grade because you're not ready to be a third grader. And the assignment that I gave you will teach you how to be a third grader who can be kind, who knows the difference between trying to get somebody in trouble and keep somebody from getting in trouble and who is respectful and can get their work done without bothering people around them. And then I said, because of course we are very supportive and care about them, that we don't want to do any new learning without them because then they would be behind. So while they're back in second grade, relearning how to be a third grader, we're going to just watch a movie and have some popcorn while we wait for you. 
and we did. Now this was something that I just came up with on a whim in a moment where I was ready to pull my hair out and just, I needed to do something. Thank God I had microwave popcorn stashed in my classroom, but you know, it really could have been anything. It didn't have to be moving in a popcorn. It could have been out on the playground. It could have been just playtime. It could have been whatever. But what I learned from that is to always have that ready to go. So I have a buddy who agreed to be that person for me where I could send kids back to them if I needed to use this strategy. Seeing the effectiveness of this situation, because let me tell you what, the kids where you sending them down to the grade level below you, that does not feel good to them. And so they don't ever want to put themselves in a position where they have to go do that while the rest of their class is having a party. And the kids who are having a party, they don't want to ever put themselves in a position where they're the kids going back to second grade. So it was a really good teachable moment for all of them, regardless of what their situation was. So I knew this was a thing that I wanted to have ready to go, stuck in my back pocket or whenever I might need it. And so I always made sure that I had a buddy to send the kids to and I kept microwave popcorn in my classroom and I already had activities. In fact, the last year I was in the classroom, I made a video of myself that I could have the kids watch on their personal devices. It talked all about our rules, our classroom expectations, and they had to fill in a graphic organizer where they had to give me both appropriate and inappropriate behaviors. It was a whole reteach about all of the things. I use this probably once or twice a year. It really has very high impact and it teaches a good lesson about putting yourself in a position for success. I know that some of these things, what you're hearing is me saying that I just took an hour out of my class to do that or a half an hour to walk the hallways. And like I said, right from the beginning of this video, I will 100% throw it all out to deal with a management situation because when you put that time in, you get that back plus more later. So I'm not really wasting academic time because if you allow this behavior to continue, it's only going to get worse. And we all know that teaching and learning can not happen in an environment where the kiddos are not doing their job. And so it is absolutely worth every moment that you spend teaching appropriate behaviors. So these three strategies are all negative consequence sort of scenarios and that's okay because sometimes life has negative consequences attached to the choice. I'm all about positive reinforcement but that's not how it always works in real life. So we want to make sure that we're balancing both negative and positive consequences or reinforcements because that's what real life is. Someday when our students go out and get jobs, their bosses aren't going to give them stickers for doing a good job. They will fire them if they do not. But I will end with two positive incentive sort of strategies. These two positive incentive strategies are a little bit more focused on individual students. The first one is very similar to the last one that I just shared with you where you're gonna send kids to a different grade level. Only this time, you're gonna have a buddy at the grade level above you so that kids who are showing awesome worker habits, you can invite them to go do their work in the grade level above you. So today, that student or group of students has the choice to take their work and go work in Mrs. Johnson's fourth grade classroom because they're working hard like a fourth grader does. And you can say that in front of the whole class. And remember, this is a reward that's not based on the academics themselves, but the worker behavior. And so this is so powerful for our struggling learners who work really hard to do a good job, but often feel that they're behind their peers. They get to go to fourth grade today because they're amazing, because they're working hard. And that is such a great way to really boost their confidence. And it also shows the rest of the class, geez, like if I can act like a fourth grader, I'll get to go too. 
too. And that's going to help motivate them to show that they can also be fourth grade workers. This is why it's kind of nice when you buddy up with someone who's at a grade level below you and above you because your buddy at the grade level below you, you get to send them your kids when they need a reteach and then they can send you their kids who are doing a good job. And the friend who is in the grade level above you, if you're their buddy, they send you the kids who need a reteach and you get to send them your kids who are doing a good job. So it's like, it takes a village. Don't forget that. Now I did save my favorite one for last and that is where you reward the whole class in the honor of one student. And this is to build up one student who might be working on a specific thing. So maybe it's working on not calling out or keeping hands to self or working independently without bothering friends. And when that kid has a great day, you can pull them aside and say, Lily, I have noticed that this morning you have gotten all of your work done and you have not bothered any friends. Now their brains are bigger and your brain is bigger and I just want to let you know that I noticed that. So first you connect with the kid and you make sure that you tell them you noticed. Then at recess time you say something like, I just want to let everybody know that today you get an extra 10 minutes of recess time because Lily has had a great day getting her work done. And so now everyone gets 10 minutes of extra recess. Don't thank me. Thank Lily. The pride on these little faces when they know they've done a great job and that they've worked hard, especially when it can be so hard for some of them to control their little bodies and stay focused and do their job. It is just absolutely amazing. And these students can often be the ones who frustrate their peers because they are impulsive. By rewarding the entire class in their honor gives them positive attention and it helps other kids support the hard work that that student is doing. And so that is just one of my favorite things to do. So I hope that you found some of these strategies helpful to you. They always worked for me and the great thing about them is you can start them today. You can implement any of these strategies no matter where you are in your school year. If you're joining me on YouTube, leave some comments. What are your favorite go-to classroom management strategies when things get crazy? And also, don't forget to check the video description for those resources. And if you're a podcast listener, you can go ahead and find those in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I hope that you all have a great week. See you next time. Mm-hmm.